This is the Mend It Paths podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode 19. Welcome to MendItPaths.com. Let's get back to bedtime. Hi, Path Menders. Thanks for stopping by. First off, I'd like to issue an apology. Some of you may have noticed that there was no episode last week. Due to unforeseen technical difficulties, I was unable to get an episode ready in time. I apologize for that. This week, I'm happy to be joined by Adam Sud. Adam is a certified holistic lifestyle coach and graduate of E. Cornell's plant-based nutrition certificate program. He presently works with Whole Foods as a wellness coach, providing services to Whole Foods employees seeking to get healthier. Adam is a regular guest and speaker at Rip Esselstyn's Engine 2 plant-based immersion, as well as a keynote speaker at many veggie festivals. Adam was once 310 pounds, a type 2 diabetic, was a drug and food addict, and suffered from severe depression. Join as he shares his story of how he was able to mend his own path and how he has now made it his life's mission to be of service by helping others mend their own paths as well. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on. I've seen your story kicking around on uh, Facebook, and it's absolutely incredible. No, thank you very much. Appreciate that. So let's let's start with a little bit of backstory. Where were you, say, prior to 2012? Whew. Uh, that's that's a that's a big question. I was um, I was not in in a good place. That's for sure. Uh, I was deep into a, uh, a serious drug addiction, um, uh, life-threatening drug addiction, um, a life-threatening fast food addiction, um, a serious depression, um, and a, uh, just an absolute denial of self. It was, uh, it was pretty miserable. Um, you know, I weighed, you know, 320 pounds. Uh, I had a bunch of undiagnosed, uh, diseases going on. I was highly addicted to stimulants, specifically Adderall. But, you know, when I didn't have that, I would, you know, take whatever was necessary. The only thing I didn't get into was meth. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was not good. So what led you down that path? Was it uh, a steep descent or was it more gradual over time or? It was it was gradual at first, um, but man, you know, I, I know that there was at one point when it just it all kind of went downhill. But um, it started, you know, I got uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD, which a lot of people are, um, and I believe a lot of people are sort of misdiagnosed because in 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 my research of understanding ADHD, it's it's my opinion that you know there are symptoms that can manifest that that. Uh, can be diagnosed as ADHD, but these are things that are caused by environment. Uh, so we're talking about the environment in which you live in, the environment in which you fuel yourself with, so your food, um, the, the family environment, your genetics, of course, your unique brain chemistry, um, and then the type of you know study or work situation that you have. Uh, all, all of these factors go in, in, contribute to creating symptoms that can be manifested and appear as ADHD when really they could be sort of, uh, an environment caused, um, ADHD like symptoms. And, 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 and what's, what makes it more difficult is that doctors all just treat it 
treat they treat the disease with the same medication. So they treat every unique indivi- individual with the same medication and the same trajectory, which is just a lazy approach to treatment. Um, and I got I got put on Ritalin when I was in uh, middle school, and when I got into high school, Adderall had come out, and so that was the new uh, super drug. And what what was great for me was when I first tried it as a as a party drug. I think I was a freshman in high school. Um, I had just moved to Austin, Texas, so I didn't really have a you know a ton of friends, but my I, I did have good friends, and we were at a party, and man, I I remember it very vividly the the feeling of, of the first time I took Adderall uh, in, in an abusive manner, which is by just taking more. It is like you are superhuman. Uh, you just don't want to stop. You have all this energy. Um, it completely curbs your appetite, which for me was great because I was kind of late going into puberty. Um, so like, it, uh, like my growth spurt stuff didn't happen. Like I didn't start developing sort of a, that high school man body in, until later. And so it really mattered to me what people thought of how I looked. And now I found a way to control my appetite and lose as much weight as I wanted. It uh, made me uh, a type A personality like. So I could study as much as I want, get my work done, uh, all these things that I thought I needed to be to be the person the world liked. And um, and for me, that's that's a, a huge trait of my descent was when I thought there was something about me that didn't work. I looked outwardly for the answer instead of looking inwardly. So um, it uh, the addiction to that to that medicine got pretty bad in high school, but it was working for me. You know, um, it didn't, it hadn't created any, uh, you know, adverse side effects other than the fact that I was becoming addicted. Yeah. Um, but when I got into college and, and look, I, I got a, a very, uh, prestigious scholarship to uh, one of the top film and art schools in the country. Uh, they basically came and recruited me out of high school. And I thought, you know, this drug is making me everything I need to be. Mm. And, um, Man, when I got into college, that's when it really, I think that's when it started, the, the tipping point really started happening because I was running out of prescriptions early and having doctors, you know, mail me prescriptions. And I started doctor shopping, which is where you have multiple doctors prescribing the same medication without knowing about each other and then filling them at different pharmacies, which is such a felony. It's, it's amazing that I didn't get, in, uh, get arrested. Um, and then I dropped out of college because I had an opportunity to work in the film industry. But to be honest, I just wanted to be back in Austin, Texas, where I knew my dealers and, you know, it wouldn't be such a hassle to get my, uh, my medicine anymore. And also, you know, I really started slacking on my schoolwork and I didn't have to worry about, you know, failing classes anymore. It was an escape. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely an escape. It was, I was just running from, you know, the the difficult parts of life that were coming up and I just ran away from it uh and and ran towards my drug um and after being on Adderall for this long let's say I'm 20 20 years old 21 years old I uh I, you know my metabolism had really taken a taken a toll because it's an amphetamine it it is basically medically pure methamphetamine because methamphetamine is just amphetamines that are cut with a bunch of nasty stuff like cleaning solvents and stuff like this. Whereas Adderall is a medically pure pharmaceutical grade amphetamine. Um, 
it destroys your adrenal glands and it destroys your metabolism uh, because your body becomes dependent on the Adderall in order for your metabolism to really work. So I started packing on the pounds and I found a new way to self-soothe my uh, my feelings of being overweight and not liking who I was becoming. And, and funny enough, my, my answer to that was fast food uh, because it was quick, it was easy, it was right there. And I started to put on weight and I started to stop caring about, uh, you know, how I kept myself. I didn't shower. My apartment became very, very filthy, just full of empty fast food wrappers and empty pill bottles. It looked like something out of hoarders by the end. Um, and, you know, I was eating McDonald's double quarter pounders, probably six a day. I was eating uh, um, uh, a big chicken strip sandwich thing from a place called Whataburger here in Austin. Probably had four or five breakfast tacos every day, a large pizza, and probably around 12 sodas in a 24-hour period. Wow. On top of that, I was taking 450 milligrams of Adderall, uh, which is a, a, a huge amount. And it got really bad. My dad, had, you know, as, long, as well as my mom, they kept reaching out saying, you know, what's going on with you? You know, you're, you, you smell bad. You know, no one sees you for you know, long stretches. We don't hear from you. Uh, my dad would say, you know, your money's going away. Uh, you know, do you have a gambling issue? Is if, if you have a problem, don't be ashamed of it. But of course I was. And so I didn't, you know, say anything or let him know anything. And, uh, I continued to blame specifically my father for my issues. Cause I was, he and I had a kind of an, an interesting relationship growing up. He, uh, he lost his father when he was in his early twenties to cancer. And as a result of that, he becomes hypercritical when he sees someone that he loves uh, exhibiting lifestyle behaviors that threaten their life. And I took that as him saying that I don't accept you. But really what he was saying was, you know, what you're doing scares me. And this is the only way I know how to say that I love you. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't understand that. So we had a difficult r relationship. But he did offer me something that I didn't know at the time would be what would really save my life. And that was uh, he got me to attend Rip Esselstyn's Engine 2 Plant Strong Immersion, the very first one that was held. And this is something that uh, Whole Foods Market offers to its employees. And what it is is a seven-day immersion where you learn how to, to live a plant-based lifestyle, which is a, a diet of Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, no added oil, no added sugar, basically plant only. And uh, for the purpose of reversing disease in the body and creating a quality of life that is, you know, something that you've never had before. And, and the science is pretty solid that this is it's the only diet ever proven to reverse heart disease, type two diabetes, uh, you know, prevent up to 70 percent of cancers. Uh, it, it's a pretty incredible diet. And. You know, I was so into my drug addiction that I didn't take it seriously. Even though when I was there, I listened to everything and it made total sense. Uh, but I was an addict and I was using it, the immersion. And unfortunately, you know, a year later, I'm in my apartment and I'm at the lowest I've ever been. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if I was honestly I don't I you know I people ask me if, if I was committing suicide that night and I, and I don't know I don't know if that's maybe I don't I don't know um, but I 
I took a lot of my Adderall and a lot of painkillers and stuff like that. And, and then I, I suffered an, uh, a drug overdose and there are, you know, passed out unconscious on the floor of my dirty apartment, surrounded, literally surround, surrounded by my drugs, surrounded by the fast food wrappers, surrounded by uh, the empty pill bottles. Uh, my whole life summed up in that one apartment right there. That's what I created for myself was this tiny life with no one in it, filthy, uh, sad, uh, empty, um, and, and, and dying. And uh, when I woke up the next day, I, um, I had this realization that, you know, I know that there is nothing that because I'm an addict, I know that there's nothing anyone could ever say to me to make me realize what I was doing and want to change unless I wanted to. Yeah. But I also know that my family, my, you know, my mom and my dad, they, uh, and I have a twin brother and a younger sister who I'm really close with. Uh, and they don't know that. And they would probably spend the rest of their lives carrying around this immense, immense guilt and sadness, thinking that there was something they could have done. And they would never know that that's not the case. And, uh, you know, I called my dad that, that, that day and I said, you know, I need some help. And, um, and he didn't, you know, he didn't, this is a person, I'm going to explain to you what, what my relationship was like. He's my dad. I love him. I loved him then. But at the same time, these were, this was, these were thoughts that I had in my head, uh, on, on nights when I couldn't, when I was up on Adderall, looking at how I had basically blown every opportunity I had in life. Um, I'm never going to make anything of myself. Uh, I'm going to, I'm almost out of money as it is. I'm going to be, you know, probably end up living on the street, but at least when my parents die, I'll get their money. Hmm. Um, I called him and, and without question, he said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And it wasn't like, if we do this, if we pay for this, you know, you have to take it seriously. It was, there was nothing like that. It was just, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. And Two weeks later, I checked into Sierra Tucson, which is an inpatient rehab facility in Tucson, Arizona. And it was there that uh, day one of rehab. And I don't know if you know what it's like to be in rehab, but when you when you check into rehab, the first 24 hours are pretty dehumanizing and, and, and embarrassing. One, I had the I was ashamed to be there uh, Two. They strip search you, they search your bags, they run all these medical diagnostic tests. And of course, there's a purpose for it. One, they're trying to make sure you know everything you're dealing with medically and physically. They want to make sure that, you know, you aren't bringing anything into the rehab facility because I, I wasn't sober uh, when I showed up at rehab and most people aren't. Um, and then also, you know, they are... Uh, the, the, you need to spend at least 24 hours in a quarantined area because if you're going to start detoxing, they need to have you in a safe area. Yeah. Um, but the next day I, I got a call from the doctor and he told me that my blood sugar was almost 400. My uh, cholesterol was through the roof and my blood pressure was so high that they were going to check my blood pressure and monitor my heart rate every morning for the first week before I was allowed to leave the dorms because they they were afraid that I could have a heart attack at any moment. Oh, wow. And uh, it was that, that those diagnoses that made me realize that I'm not invincible. You know, I, I had this huge amount of denial about who I was that, 
oh, I take 450 milligrams of Adderall, not because I'm an addict, but because I have this insane tolerance and I'm just a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, that I'm not depressed, it's the rest of the world that's, a, that's, that's messed up and I don't fit into it. And you know, my relationship with my father is bad, not because of me, it's because he won't accept me for who I am. Hmm. And, uh, but this, you, I could not deny it. You know, I learned all this information from the engine two immersion that type two diabetes, blood, uh, heart disease, obesity, these are lifestyle diseases. You don't get these diseases unless you give them to yourself. Yeah. So here were the numbers on the page showing me exactly what I had done to myself. Weight was over 320 pounds. Blood sugar is almost 400. Cholesterol and blood pressure through the roof. You know, I had to accept that I'm the problem. But what's great about that is when you're the problem, you get to be the solution. You are in complete control. And I, I said to myself, that's going to be my recovery. Those numbers on the page are going to be what I fight every single day. And in order to achieve victory over those numbers, I can't use my drug. Because the, the intangibles, the depression, the, the addiction, those are, it was so difficult for me to grasp because there wasn't a number on a page. You know, as you go through recovery, the first, especially the first few weeks, you feel worse at week three than you did day one. Emotionally, you feel wrecked. And you got therapists saying, well, you're making progress and you just I, I just have to take my word. I have to take their word for it. I, that's not how I operate. Show me the numbers. Show me that I'm making progress because I don't see it. But I could see my own progress with my physical health by implementing the plant based diet. And that's what I did. And so you did that at rehab. Well, see, at rehab, I, you don't have control over what you eat entirely. Um, and so. I made the best choices I could with the limited amount of plant-based options that I could make. And remember, okay, I'm a seventh generation Texan. I grew up on bur burgers and barbecue and I had a huge fast food addiction. The plant-based options that, they were, that were available to me in rehab were not something that were palatable for me. Uh, so I did the best that I could and I started my exercise routine, but basically I ate egg white scrambles with as much veggies in them for uh for lunch they were willing to make those for me for lunch and dinner and then in the morning i did oatmeal which isn't part of the engine two diet the egg whites but it's what i was capable of achieving in rehab but when i got out of rehab uh they recommended that i go live at a sober living facility and that's a halfway house where you live with other people who are in recovery uh you you live your life you attend your your therapy sessions uh but you all live at the house you check in you do you go to your aa meetings they monitor your meds and, and it's a supervised situation. Yeah. And when I checked in, I, you know, I remember pretty clearly walking in and just being blown away by it, the way that they stocked this kitchen. So imagine every single Nickelodeon commercial you saw in the 90s. That was the food. All right. It was egg waffles and Hot Pockets and Doritos and sugary cereals and sodas and you know, it was in so much dairy. I mean, cheese and milk and yogurt and all this stuff. And I thought to myself, I oh, mean, I, I guarantee you people leave here sober, but no one leaves here healthier. Yeah. The environment that this place has created doesn't allow for you to get healthier. And I said to them, I can't eat this stuff. And they asked me what I could, what I was willing to eat. And I said, just give me oatmeal, give me black beans, give me broccoli and give me fruit. 
And that was I, and that was what I was going to eat. And I ate that every day for every single meal for the next 10 months. Oh, wow. But it wasn't easy, especially the first week. And I kept crying because I'd be sitting there eating these meals that I just did not want to eat because there's, look, I could eat them. I could, I, you know, I, I, I liked what I ate, but there's a difference between liking what you eat, you eat and having what you eat make you feel comfortable. Yeah. I ate it, but what was going to make me comfortable would be the pizza in the fridge. And I would see these young 20 something year old guys who were eating whatever they wanted. And they, you know, they were, they were young and they were fit and they were healthy looking. And I thought, you know, why is it that I'm in this situation where I know that eating these plant, this plant-based diet is going to make me happy and healthy. I know it. Yeah. Why is it so hard for me to do it? Why is it that when I do this and I know it's the right thing to do, why am I crying? Why am I miserable? Why am I literally throwing fits in this house because of the situation I'm in? And I couldn't understand it until I saw the TED talk by Doug Lyle called the pleasure trap. And then I knew exactly what was happening. I knew exactly what was happening that I had created by living in a, in an environment of fast food where you get a dopamine response from your food that is so outside the bounds of normal human experience that I created a biological problem that doing the wrong thing felt right. It, my body literally believed that I was being successful, biologically successful by eating fast food. Yeah. And now eating this plant-based diet feels wrong. It feels biologically, feels like the wrong thing to do. And that's when I learned exactly what I had to tell myself every single day in order to be successful. I just had to be comfortable being uncomfortable because according to the pleasure trap, there was going to be a day down the road when I woke up and eating these plant foods wouldn't be such a chore. And then there was going to be a day when I woke up and I was going to look forward to it. And finally, there was going to be a day when I woke up and the idea of going back to the fast food lifestyle would make me as uncomfortable as it is at that moment to continue eating the plants. Yeah. Biological fact that was going to happen. Can I be uncomfortable? Can I be comfortable being uncomfortable long enough until that day comes? And that was my new mission. And that's what I did. And honestly, reading that book, The Pleasure Trap, was the biggest turning point for me in my recovery. And I realized that every single day when I got up and I prepared a meal on a plate that was about health and wellness, it's an act of self-care, it's an act of self-love, and it's about creating an environment where no matter the psychology, no matter the emotional problems I was dealing with, it did not allow me to make any destructive lifestyle choices in terms of what I put into my body. A plant-based environment only allowed for me to be healthier that day than the person I was the day before. Yeah. And that's an incredible tool. And in three months, my diabetes was gone. Uh, I, I reversed my heart disease. It was completely gone. Within 10 months, I lost 100 pounds. And within a year, I was off of every single medication I was put on in rehab, including the antidepressants and the mood stabilizers and the ADHD medication and the sleeping medication. That's incredible. And it was, you know, I, I looked at some of the other people, look, every single person that goes, that was in that rehab with me and in that sober living with me, I really believe that they wanted to be, to get better. And a lot of them did. And a lot of them are still sober, but most of them were living in that junk food environment that fueled depression, fueled anxiety, uh, that creates that neural inflammation from the, uh, omega-6 fatty acids that you get from that diet. 
And as a result, they gained weight. They became more depressed. And a lot of them ended up relapsing, obviously for more reasons than just the food. But the food did not allow them to restore the damage and repair the damage that they had done to themselves as addicts to their body. It wasn't giving them the best shot possible. It wasn't. It was, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost, you know, like if, if we're running a race and someone put a 50 pound pack on your back and said, you still got to do the same distance as everyone else. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, and, and a lot of them have gone back into recovery a few times and, and, but the difference is that the ones that came out sober at the end and stayed sober are still on their meds. Whereas I was able to get off every one of my medications and finally be a unmedicated version of myself, which I hadn't been since I was 12 years old. And that's an, an incredible feeling to discover who, who you are without any kind of substance in you, uh, artificial substance in you, some mind altering substance or some chemical altering substance. And they tell you very on that, look, Recovery is the search for the authentic self. Well, what's more authentic than living a life that rids you of disease to where you no longer have to be medicated? Yeah. And um, I, I made it my mission to, to try to bring plant-based nutrition into the recovery world. And I went and I got certified as a uh, plant-based nutritionist. And I started working in the addiction recovery world in L.A., which was not very accepting <laughs> because when you tell people moving into sober living that they have to live a plant based lifestyle, they go somewhere else. So um, but it's been it's been an amazing it's been an amazing journey. And um, I've gotten to do some incredible things. I now work for Whole Foods Markets uh, Medical and Wellness Clinic as a health coach. And I also work with Engine 2 as a motivational speaker and expert speaker at all of their events. Um, and the most amazing thing is, you know, people like to, they want to ask me about, you know, tell us about how much weight you lost and the medications you've gone off of and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's like the numbers are fun. You know, I like to tell people I've lost 160 pounds and I've gotten off of eight medications, but, you know, I think that the most profound part of recovery and for me switching this plant-based diet has been what I've been able to gain. Um, you know, my dad, I now go to work with my dad. Um, and, uh, he's my best friend. We run together. We, you know, um, <laughs> man, I, I try not to get choked up when I talk about this, but, um, Oh, it's pretty personal. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, life is so different now. Yeah. Right. Like I, I could relate, man. I know, I know what you're talking about. Like when you're depressed, you wake up every day and you're not looking forward to that day. No, man, it's miserable. Yeah. Like when you can wake up and, and be happy, be happy that you woke up, not want to just sleep and, and, and never wake up again. It's that's, that's a, that's an interesting thing about that is, how much I, I needed to be asleep yeah. when I wasn't on my drug. When I wasn't on my drug, the only thing I wanted to do was eat until I would put myself into a food coma and just sleep until I remember having thoughts like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get Adderall for a week. I wish I could just sleep till then. Yeah. Because life would be unbearable without it. And, you know, it's like I hated everything about my life then. And now I wake up and I look forward to it. 
and the way that I move through the world is so different. I got, I was so certain about a lot of, a lot of stuff that obviously I knew nothing about. Hmm. And my certainties about the world just pushed me away from everyone, you know? And, and my life was just this little tiny miserable life in a, an apartment I allowed no one into and, uh, full of drugs. And now my life is, is all about embracing others and saying, you know, I don't know. It, I, I don't know. I, I, there's so much more that I don't know than I do. And that's what's going to bring me. That's going to allow me to connect to people yeah. because I want to understand other people's perspectives in the world. And I want to be open to it. And I want to help people discover their authentic selves and not say that, look, my way is not a cure all. You know, look, plants don't fix everything. All right. They're just a tool that I used to help me repair my body and give my mind the best fuel possible in order to, you know, approach those really difficult things, those intangible, you know, uh, uh, existential questions that you have to ask yourself when you go through recovery. And for me, doing that in a plant-based environment really helped. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping people will, will try and embrace and, and see that, you know, it's not just about being vegan. I, you know, it, this is about fueling your body and your mind to become the authentic self. Yeah. So people were resistant at first in LA. Did, did yeah. you find that changed over time as you gained credibility in that scene or? It did. You know, I started working, I started working as a, uh, I would run a weekly group at the sober living that where I had, had been a resident and, uh, the house where I was living, they had multiple houses in the West LA area. The one that I was living in got sold. So I started, running a group at another house. And this was like a, you know, about a year after I had, I had left uh, sober living cause I went and got my certification. Um, and at first it was like, you really think that by, you know, eating plants, we're going to get sober. I said, you know, it's like, no, I don't. Um, but I think it's going to help. And people really liked what I had to say, but unfortunately they continued to live in the house that didn't allow them the opportunity to embrace the lifestyle. Uh, unfortunately, the the house operates by allowing the residents to buy whatever they want in terms of food. They they create the shopping list. Well, they may agree with you, but unless they really need it, they're not going to switch to a plant-based grocery list. So for, for about a few months, I would give these presentations, and it was about lifestyle change. It was, you know, how do I create an environment where my actions are about positive change. And finally, I got this, this young kid who was like, he had, he had read Rich Roll's book. He was a big fan of the whole plant-based movement. And he said, I really want to do this. And it was cool because he sort of had like, I could see the similarity between him and I. He had a, a tough relationship with his father. He, you know, he came from uh, a pretty fortunate situation where he didn't have to want for a lot of things. And unfortunately, it made him this, arrogant, entitled kid who, you know, basically had to, to learn pretty quickly as an adult already that, you know, that's just not the way the world works. Yeah. And, uh, he said, you know, he was about 50 pounds overweight and he said, you know, can I work with you one-on-one? I said, absolutely. Put him on this plant-based diet. He really, you know, clings to it. He had some trouble, you know, finding the foods that he liked, but he, he you know, he stuck with it. And sure enough, you know, six months later, not only had he, you know, lost the the, the, the weight, but he runs a, a triathlon with his dad because he and his dad had now like, you know, 
fix their relationship and we're working on moving forward. And it was a cool kind of, you know, similarity. It's like I saw myself in this kid and it was, you know, I don't know, like the universe saying, now it's your chance to see what you were like. Um, but, uh, you know, about three years after I got sober, um, my dad and I got to run our first race together. And I remember how special of a thing that was. And when this young man sent me a photo of him and his father finishing the triathlon in San Diego, and I just knew that this thing would work. And um, I started to run a group at an IOP, and I ran that, which is an intensive outpatient therapy center. And, you know, it it, it doesn't work for everyone because not everyone wants to do the plant-based lifestyle. And, I you know, I never say it's 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 about – I'm not trying to make you vegan. I'm trying to show you how with a simple change on your fork, you can create an environment that makes the most profound change for your life. And how something so simple as by just the the, 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 the change on your fork, like I said, that simple can make such a huge effect in your ability to recover your life. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I did that for about two years. And then finally I got this call from Whole Foods Market saying that, their medical and wellness clinic would love to have me come and, and be a health coach for them. And I had been wanting to move back to Austin for such a long time. And I accepted the job and they said, great, can you be here in a week? And I was living in Santa Monica. I said, I guess if I have to. Um, and so I've been working there now for um, about a month and a half. And it's been fantastic. Um, and because I work in the same building that Rip Esselstyn uh, works in. And so we get to see each other. Although right now he's on his book tour for his new amazing book, yeah. uh, the engine 270 rescue diet. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I miss Santa Monica because I had some really cool, uh, friends who are doing some amazing things in health, like Robbie Barbaro from forks over knives. And, uh, he, he just, he just did this mastering diabetes online summit. Yeah. With type one so diabetes, you, right? with type one diabetes, learn how to control their insulin resistance and reduce their insulin resistance by adopting a whole plant-based diet. And as well as helping type twos reverse their diabetes. Um, and he's such a cool guy. And so I miss that, that lifestyle about living in Southern California, because there's a lot more people that are into that lifestyle than there are here in Austin, Texas. (laughs) But, um, you know, hopefully we'll make a change and we'll get more people to, to put down the barbecue and pick up the jackfruit. <laughs> <laughs> how does uh, how does the Whole Foods health thing work? Like, is is it people are coming to look just to lead a healthier life and, and, and are looking for help in doing that, like the practicality of it? So it's actually a really cool thing. What it is, is it was actually started by uh, Matt Letterman and Alona Polde, who are the doctors that if you've seen Forks Over Knives, you, they're in the movie. They're the doctors that help the filmmaker as he goes through his journey through the film. Okay. Um, and what it is, they opened their first clinic in Glendale, California. Now there's one in Austin, Texas. And what it is, is a fully functioning medical clinic for the employees of Whole Foods Market. Uh, so we, we have two physicians, uh, three health coaches. A, an acupuncturist and a behavioral health specialist, so a therapist. Yeah. Any employee of Whole Foods Market who signs up for the medical and wellness plan um, gets to use these doctors at no at no cost to them. It's covered by their insurance. Um, and we are also connected with the Seton Network, which is a medical network in in uh, in the Austin area. So if you have to use a specialist like 
an ophthalmologist or a heart doctor or, you know, what, for, for whatever reason you need a specialist, uh, we can refer you out. And of course, no cost to you. We can fill your meds. You can come get your prescriptions for your meds at the clinic. And it's located in the global headquarters store. So people who work at that location, you don't have to take off work to go see a doctor. You just come downstairs and come to our clinic. It's pretty amazing. And what's also awesome is that when you see a physician, and we have two great physicians, if you come in and you have all the typical Western diseases that the standard American diet creates, they can recommend that you work with a health coach like myself or two, the other two unbelievable health coaches that we have. And our, our goal is to get you to adopt a plant-based diet, primarily plant-based, if not uh, 100% plant-based, for the purpose of reversing disease, uh, which is an amazing thing because on top of that, Whole Foods Market also offers four immersion programs. So uh, Engine 2, uh, Dr. Furman, uh, Dr. McDougal, and Dr. Stoll. These are four different immersions that you can be sent to that Whole Foods will pay to send employees to if they qualify, meaning if they're sick enough because Whole Foods wants to offer this to people who need it, not just anyone who wants to go for seven days to an amazing exotic location and, and experience a plant-based immersion. So every year, Whole Foods Market sends about 400 people, and they've been doing this for almost 10 years. And so what Whole Foods Market has done is that, and is what I believe is going to be one of the biggest changes in, in this country's healthcare system, is that as a company, they have said that we're going to make it our responsibility to not only give you health insurance, but we're also going to offer you the opportunity, the education, and the tools to never be dependent upon it. And that's that's something really amazing. And I know that there are a few companies out there that are doing the same thing. I think Pfizer is one of them, um, uh, or Kaiser Permanente. Uh, and and this is this is a, a, a philosophy that is you know very true to the core of what Whole Foods Market is. That uh, it's not just about serving the bottom line. That it is about bettering the community in which the stores exist, bettering the planet in which the, the company exists, bettering the lives of the team members that work for, for Whole Foods Market, and of course, offering uh, you know uh, lifestyles to the, the people that shop there. Yeah, they don't have to do this. <laughs> they don't. Absolutely. They do, they do not. They're doing this because they believe it's the right thing to do. And you know, we're getting people who come into the clinic. Uh, who are reversing their diabetes, who are going to be reversing their heart disease. And, you know, these are people that just believe that, you you know, by a certain point of your life, at a certain age, you just end up on medication and heart disease because the human body is meant to fail. Hmm. Which is just like, if that has become the common belief, wow. I thought that <laughs> my whole life, man. Right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so you, backwards that that's your so presumption backwards. of reality. You are not supposed to slow down before you die. I mean, look at Dr. Esselstyn. This dude's 83 years old. Every time I see him, he's on his bike. Yeah. <laughs> he is, I mean, he is the example that when you live a plant-based lifestyle, you don't slow down when you get old. You're, you know, your, your heart is not supposed to get weaker. Hmm. You're, you know, it, it's not, look at, look at Okinawa. Look at the people that live in the blue zones, right? The blue zones are areas of the world that have the largest population of centenarians, people who live to be 100 years or older. Yeah. These people that are 100 years old, they're not decrepit, you know, bedridden, sick people. They're patriarchs and matriarchs of their communities. They work their jobs. They're, they're community leaders. These are people that matter. 
that have substance and, and are teachers and givers of information and pass on culture, they have a purpose until the day they die because they live a lifestyle that is 100% plant-based. And as a result, they're the healthiest people on the planet. Yeah, you're, you're not on an inevitable journey to a nursing home. No, you're not. It's, it's, it's quite an amazing thing because it goes against everything that we've learned in this, in this culture, in this society that, you know, when you get old, you just, you know, better get ready for the retirement home. Yeah. Which so, you have so much life left to live at that point. So much. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. What, what Whole Foods is doing is absolutely incredible. I like that. There is no other company I know that does as good of a job as what Whole Foods is doing. And the other thing is, you know, what it also does with its Whole Planet Foundation, uh, which is its micro lending uh, nonprofit that offers microcredit loans to developing to people to women uh, in developing countries. Um, so let's say that you're a seamstress. Whole Foods Market will give you a loan of up to I think three hundred dollars to set you up a business, and then Whole Foods Market will buy your products from them as well from you as well as allowing you to operate your business and sell to whoever you want, and grow your business, and grow your community. And by selling your products to Whole Foods, that's how you pay the loan back. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, and so they they've been doing this for uh, I think since uh, you know I'm going to say the wrong date, but it's been a while, and they've given out like $65 million in, in microcredit loans to millions of women all over the country because they found that when you invest in women, they invest in their families. When you invest in men, unfortunately, most of the times they just spend it on themselves. <laughs> so it's, it's been, you know, this is a, a company that believes that every single person has the right to make a living. And that's why when they source products from whole trade and from uh, other countries, they do it in a way where they actually go straight to the source and pay them a fair wage, which is why a lot of times Whole Foods Market's products get labeled as whole paycheck. Yeah. Well, it may cost a dollar extra because we're actually giving the person who, who made the product a fair wage and a fair life. So, And there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, a lot to be said. I don't mind spending an extra dollar in a grocery store if it means that everybody along the line of getting that product to the store makes an, an honest living. Absolutely. Like there's, there's a fair amount of slave labor at the body bottom of the supply chain that people don't know about. Right. Exactly. Yeah, if, if you can assure yourself that you're avoiding that, then obviously that's a good thing. Yeah. So how long have you been working with Rip doing uh, motivational speaking? So, um, I came back to Austin, I think it was two years after I had gotten sober. And by this point, you know, I'd lost over a hundred pounds and I, I was in the lobby of the uh, the corporate offices. My dad has been uh, he's a founding investor of the company and he's part of the executive uh, global team. And I'm waiting in the lobby uh, for my dad and Rip comes walking by and I hadn't seen him, you know, since t this uh, this, I guess, was 2014. I hadn't seen him since 2010. And I said, hey, Rip. And he looks at me and I can tell he has no idea who, who I am. Like he cannot recognize me, which is the best feeling. Um, and I said, Riff, it's Adam Sutton. He goes, oh, my God. And he asked me to come up to his office and tell, me what, tell him what I've been doing. And I said, look, one of the things that, you know, I got to tell you is that um, you know, part of recovery is rigorous honesty. Yeah. And I believe I wronged you um, in the past. And he said, what do you mean? I said, when I was at your immersion, I was a drug addict. And not only was I a drug addict, but I brought drugs to your immersion and I used them there. Um, and I need to apologize to you for that. Uh, because I now know what a huge uh, 
you know, how wrong that was of me to do because what you create there is a place of healing, uh, an opportunity for people to recover their lives. And I threatened every single person's life by bringing drugs there. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, will you come to my next immersion and tell people that? <laughs> and I said, are you serious? And he said, please come and share your story. And so that year I spoke at my very first immersion. That was two years ago. And I've been doing it ever since. And I've spoken at Plant Stock and I've been doing his weekend events. It's been amazing. Oh, that's incredible. It's what's the kind of reaction you get in an audience like that? Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I'm a pretty modest guy. I don't like to toot my own horn or anything like that, but you know, people do cry a lot and I cry a lot when I give my presentation in person, uh, cause I got photos of my dad and me and, and photos of who I used to be in my apartment. And it's hard to look at, but, um, it's pretty overwhelming, uh, how, people react to me just being able to share my story and be vulnerable. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I really believe that that is so much a part of my recovery is to get up in front of people and put myself in my, sh in, 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 and connect with who I used to be. Yeah. Because it's when I start getting cocky or arrogant about my recovery, when I stop remembering what it was like and how quickly I can get back there, that my recovery starts to be threatened. And uh, so I believe that that is being able to do that, being able to be of service to people. It helps me stay sober. Uh, there's a great quote by um, Aristotle who says, uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Yeah. So. I want my life to be a life of health, wellness, and of being of service to other people. And that's exactly what I get to do every single time I'm at an immersion. I get to live a life where every day we get up, we eat a plant-based diet, we exercise, we do yoga, and I am of service to people in every single moment of those seven days. And it's those two weeks, we do one in May and we do one in October. Those two weeks in Sedona are a true spiritual reset for me. Um, and it's, it's been something that is, uh, very dear to me to be able to be there and, and, and take part in it. And not only that, to get, to get to hang out with Doug Lyle, cause he speaks there. So, uh, the first year when he showed up, I had my book, like the pleasure trap book. And I was like, I was like a star Wars fan meeting George Lucas. I'm <laughs> such a nerd about it. I was like, Oh my God, Doug Lyle, he signed my book. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of bugged him a little too much, but he understood. <laughs> we so, all get uh, a little bit starstruck at uh, at certain times. Yeah, I guess it was. Uh, it was just so funny because I mean, honestly, that was it. That like, and Rip gave me the tools. He said, "This is what you're going to use to make your life better." But when I read the pleasure trap, I knew exactly how I was going to do it and why things were happening the way that they were. And so that was a really huge thing for me. And I made his his. The, the pleasure trap is a main, uh, a huge focus of, of my recovery program that I still do when I, when I help coach people privately one-on-one, -on -one, um, is understanding the pleasure trap and understanding that if you are stuck in a drug addiction, if you are stuck in a fast food addiction, if you're stuck in just depression and overweight and unhappy and unhealthy, when you're trying to change your life, if you feel tempted if you feel like you can't continue doing this and that there's, you're just a broken individual, 
Because I remember what it's like to feel like you're broken. But when you feel like there's just no way you're ever going to like this and you just must be, there's something wrong with you. That's absolutely not the fact. The fact is that the reason why you feel so tempted and so driven to continue doing the bad things and destructive lifestyle habits isn't because you're broken. It's actually because your body's working exactly as it's supposed to. Yeah. That your environment created this problem. And when you change your environment, you just got to live in it, be comfortable being uncomfortable, and eventually your biology will change, your brain chemistry will change, and you will not suffer these bouts of horrible, you know, depression about, oh, I'm just like, I'll never like this food because I'm just, you know, I remember being 320 pounds and saying, the best I'm ever going to do is weigh 250 because it's just, I've been 320 pounds for too long. It's just never going to be possible. Yeah. That's a broken view. It's a false, it's a false view of the world. And when you view yourself in a false way, when you believe yourself incapable of things you actually are, then everything about the way you do things is broken. And I think that that is one thing that is being said in the pleasure trap without being said. When you understand that, it makes things easier. It's, it's your biology being hijacked by fast exactly. food companies and manuf food manufacturers, right? It's amazing, right? Yeah, like back in the day, you didn't have access to this high salt, high oil, high fat food. Yeah. So when you got your hands on anything that was high salt or high fat, your body said, ding, 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 more of that. Yeah, it's going to keep you alive and you're going to be able to, to reproduce and that's the goal of life. That's right. Yeah. You know? And so that's what your genes are telling you to do because it believes that what you have found that fast food cheeseburger, that, you know, processed salty snack, you know, salty snack that you found the Doritos. It doesn't know that that was created by a manufacturer. Yeah. It believes that you just picked that thing from a tree. Yeah. Right. It's the difference between starving and not to your body. Yeah, exactly. It's not the case in reality. It's not the case. Yeah. So, and, and the funny, the, the interesting thing is when, you know, we work with, with parents who have kids who are, you know, already suffering from obesity and will only eat fast food and junk food. You know, I, you know, one of the things you have to tell them is, look, you know, here's the thing. Your kid's not going to eat this food. Eventually he will. You might just have to be okay with him not eating for a day. Because he might not eat that food until he's, he's not eaten for 24 hours and he realizes that he's starving. Then he eats the food and it tastes good. Yeah, because anytime you put, you know, uh, you put a system under deprivation, that's it regains sensitivity. You know, your kid's going to be fine if he doesn't eat for 24 hours. As long as he's drinking, he'll be fine. I mean, the body can go three, four weeks without eating. Yeah. Uh, but continuing to let them eat that food is just going to keep them on that cycle. It's the hardest thing to do. It's like, kid, you might not like this, but I don't care if you're not eating. <laughs> Well, food food is one of the hardest addictions to break because, like, when you're addicted to a drug, you can abstain from it. But when yeah. you're addicted to food, you exactly. can't absolutely abstain from food. And not only that, it's like I've made the statement, and it hasn't been too popular when I make it on social media, but I really believe this, that the standard American diet is the deadliest substance abuse on the planet because not only does it create more deaths in this country than any illicit drug, but it's socially encouraged. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants you to do it and they call you crazy when you don't. And that, that makes it so much more difficult to get away from. Well, it's, it's everywhere. It's in our culture. It's, you see it 
if you watch TV, you hear it. If you listen to the radio, you drive down a street and there's, there's so many ads for cheap junk food. I mean, look at this. You take the three uh, top chronic diseases in this country, heart disease, diabetes, and stroke. All right. Uh, or, or you cancer, know, I think cancer. Yeah. No, yeah. Sorry. Uh, diabetes, cancer, and, uh, and heart disease. Yeah. Those three added together per year, kill over a million people. Okay. Just the number of drug overdoses from all drugs doesn't even top a hundred thousand. Yeah. Deaths by overdose deaths by overdose from all drugs per year. Doesn't top a hundred thousand. Are you telling me that you really believe that the standard American diet isn't the deadliest substance on the planet? <laughs> I, I, I really beg to differ. Yeah. How, how many people have known someone that's died from a drug overdose? Now compare that to how many people you've known that that's died from just cancer. I'll tell you one thing. One in three people will die from heart disease. It doesn't matter who you are in this country. If you're living in this country and you're eating the standard American diet, you have a one in three chance of dying of heart disease. Yeah. It's it's insane. I think the actual statistic is um, the the top three killers. I think in the U.S. it's heart disease, cancer, and then stroke. Diabetes yeah. is is debilitating. It's the one that right. causes the most disability. You're right. Yeah. Um, in Canada, it's a little bit reversed because we have cancer first, and then heart disease, and then stroke. Uh, but our yeah. diabetes rates are are through the roof as well. And like, you don't have to go back very far in time to find a place when the prevalence of these types of diseases just wasn't there. No, you barely have to go back a lifetime. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and yet still people find it hard to make the connection between what has changed. You'll see people blaming on things like pollution or like electronics. And it's, yeah, it's, it's almost laughable. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, a, you know, what is the, what is the, uh, the largest factor coming from the environment that affects you every single day? The most, the, the greatest impact from your environment is the part of the environment that you choose to put into your body. Yeah. Well, you so, make it part of yourself. Exactly. That is always going to be the, the, the highest determining factor, the greatest determining factor of your overall health trajectory. Yeah. So I usually ask uh, my guests if they have one piece of advice for someone that's perhaps sitting on the fence or, or thinking about mending their own path. What, what would that one piece of golden nugget be? Um, well, obviously, if they're thinking about it, my advice would be to do it. Um, but, um, you know, I think that for me, uh, the thing that helped me out the most was it was be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is, like I said earlier, when I ate the oatmeal, I like oatmeal. All right. But at the time I would rather have had fruity pebbles. Okay. So I enjoyed eating fruity pebbles, uh, eating uh, oatmeal, but it didn't make me comfortable in the moment. Um, and so that meant that every single day I wasn't you know, it wasn't, all right, I might be uncomfortable today. I was planning on it. I was planning on experiencing some serious discomfort in my day. And that was part of the goal because it meant that if at any point in my day, I felt frustrated, angry, irritated. That meant I was doing the right thing because it meant I was changing the lifestyle behavior. Hmm. And so it's great 
to want to change because that's always the first step. But the action is going to make you very, very uncomfortable and you have to be okay with it. It's fine to be upset and it's even it's even better to get angry if you have to. If you need to yell at something, yell at something. All right. Um, but you have to find a way until you develop those tools of self-soothing on your own. You have to find a way to just be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's that's my my biggest tool and tip I think I have for anybody. Awesome. I don't think anyone's grown by um, by not changing. Right. By doing what yeah. they're comfortable with. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh and thank you for reaching out and 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 getting in touch with me because I love being able to share my story and and uh you know, because I think that if I can be of service if my story can be of service to anyone, that's what I want. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for doing the work that you do, Adam. Appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Mend It Paths podcast at www.menditpaths.com. If you haven't already done so, please like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Mend It Pass. See you all next time. Visit Mend It Paths.com and get back to bed now.